everybody. Glad to see you, and uh, for those of you that are joining us at home, it will not be long and we can be together again. Uh, we're going to talk about that specifically at the end of the service today when we do announcements, so uh, don't, don't uh, skip out too early on us. Uh, I, will not, I don't plan to be long-winded today. We'll see what happens, but, uh, but anyway, <laughs> who did that? <laughs> Carrie, I don't, I don't know. Um, all right, so this morning... Um, you know, if you hadn't heard, we're in phase two, um, and what that means, uh, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, is that now instead of only having 30 people in here, we can have 60, um, which is fantastic. Um, so I'm excited about being able to have more people here and, and getting to worship together and hear the word together. So um, anyway, we'll talk about that some more later. I do want to say uh, just a quick word of, of thanks. Um, a lot of you guys were very encouraging to me last week after the message, and then also I've seen a lot of you being very active um, and, um, and things that are going on around town and protests and, and all that. So I just want to say thank you to, to listening to the Lord and being obedient to His call as, as we figure this all out together. So we're going to look at our, our next uh, section in Ecclesiastes. We're going to end out chapter 4 and dip our toes into chapter 5 just a little bit. Um, but I saw a, um, a repost that Maddie Watley did um, this weekend, and it and it talked about how as we're kind of learning for a lot of us about um, the the racial issues that exist and what's going on in the world, it's like drinking from a fire hose, right? Uh, I know it is for me, and I've I've been thinking about this for a long time. And even though it's difficult, sometimes we want to just stop, right, and just breathe for a minute. But it's really important now that we continue to to listen and to learn and and all that. I also want to just throw this out there for this morning as we're starting that I know there's a lot of kids in the room, and I want you to know that it's okay. Okay, if your kids make noise, if they, you know, kids are kids, I have some, I know how they are, I'm okay, you're okay, all right? So, today in our passage, we're going we're gonna to hear some additional challenges to the way that we live and the way that we think, but I want to remind you that this is how we grow, right? That uh, I heard somebody say this week that, that the Lord works in us in a gradual way, that our minds, and I, I can't remember who, who said this, so I can't quote it, but something to the effect of our minds can only handle about 5% of change at a time. And that's why the Lord doesn't just throw himself on us completely, because we just, we physically couldn't handle it, right? But for us as people, as our brains are developing, that that's a slow, gradual process. And so uh, I want you to know that we're not going to get to the end of this at any point. I'm not talking about our study, I'm talking about about what it means to learn, what it means to be human, and, and to, to live in community with one another, okay? And, and I want to remind you again that God has us in this series at this moment um, to help us see the reality of the world that we live in, that we can see it with fresh eyes, maybe in ways that we haven't seen it before, uh, and begin to see the world that our, our brothers and sisters of color have had to live in for generations, for hundreds of years. It's important that we begin to, to see the world the way that they see it. Okay? And I want you to hear me from the outset today that my goal is that we would see what's happening in the world today through God's eyes, that we would have his perspective and then respond accordingly. Okay? The goal of the preacher in this text um, is that we would have a perspective that is eternal. We've talked about before how we live in the realm of time, but God does not. And so we need to have his perspective and not ours. The preacher wants us to look beyond the right now to allow God to work through us to bring forth the kingdom of God right here on earth right now. And we talked about last week that how we love God and how we love one another 
is how we give this world a glimpse of who God is, of what it means to truly love and to live together, okay? Uh, and, and we saw last week that how we love God, how we love one another, reveals the nature of our heart. It reveals where we actually stand. The choices that we make, the words that we say, the actions that we take reveal uh, our heart for God. And it's not just enough for us to say that we love God. Scripture was very clear about that last week. It's not just enough to say that we love God. We have to have actions that back that up. Our actions speak louder than our words most of the time. Okay, so with all that in mind, let's look at today's uh, passage. It's Ecclesiastes 4, verses 13 through 16 is where we'll start. Okay, and it says this. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though his own kingdom had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who, who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after the wind. So I don't know about you, when I read these first two verses, particularly the first one, um, it, it kind of... You know, it's just an obvious image right there in front of us, okay? I want you to see today that there's a comparison between two different spectrums. There is the poor and the weak that are compared to the rich and the powerful. The wise and the teachable versus the foolish and the closed-minded. We look at these two descriptions, and I want you to ask yourself, which does the world encourage us to pursue? Do we seek powerlessness or power? Do we seek um, poverty or do we seek wealth? Which of those two categories do we typically associate with one another? We put the wise, the powerful, the wealthy in one category, and then often we lump together the weak, the poor, and the foolish, right? Isn't that how our minds are wired to work? However, this is not how the preacher organized those groups today. Even though the preacher is obviously in a position of wealth and power, he teaches us that, that one doesn't automatically make the other. The first point I want to make today is that power is not synonymous with wisdom. And poverty does not equate to foolishness. And you may say, yeah, well, I know that, obviously, okay? But I want us to look for a moment at the way we think about the world. The preacher says that it is better to be poor and wise than a rich king. During this study, we've talked about the upside-down nature of this world that we live in. And in this passage today, the, the preacher is revealing that, that we have also been seeing the world in upside-down ways. Our entire lives, we have bought into this idea that if a person is wealthy and that they have power, that they must have wisdom. That's how they gain those things. We often place those people in pedestals and we treat them differently than we treat others. And whether we realize it or not, we're giving those people value based on a cultural standard, not on what God says about them, but based on the things that they have or the things that they say. We've become so desensitized to, by our culture that we don't see often what's happening right in front of us. And I use this word desensitize. It took me a while to, to come to that word um, this week. And, and I want to explain it in a way that I understand it. And I think that you will too. Um, when you're working with a young horse, okay, we're going cowboy for a minute, bear with me. When you're working with a young horse, they're scared of everything, right? You, you learned in science class when you were in junior high or high school about there's two responses that animals have. They're, they're either a fight or a flight animal, which means when they're scared, they either fight 
or they run from the danger, right? And horses are a flight. They have a flight mentality. And so when something scares them, they're going to do everything in their power to get away. And horses are very powerful. So one of the things that we do when we're training those horses is we desensitize them, okay? And what that means is that we'll take like a garbage I mean, a, a garbage sack or a tarp or a paper bag, and we'll tie it on a stick, and we'll just whoosh it around. There's nothing more scary to a, to a young horse than a spray bottle of water. We have one right now we're working through that with. Sally's laughing because she knows. Okay, you just spray some water in their direction, and they freak out. So what do we do? We do that over and over and over and over again until it just doesn't matter to them. They realize that those things that appear to be scary aren't scary anymore. And you do that so that when a four-year-old walks underneath a horse, it's just not a big deal right? They're not scared of things anymore because they realize that they're, they're bigger than those things. But that same thing happens to you and I, right? We're created in God's image. We're created to be in relationship with him, and we are supposed to feel what he feels, right? When we see, when we see tragedy happen in the world, our heart, if we're believers, should be the same as God. But unfortunately, because we've, be, we've been desensitized by our culture, a lot of times when those bad things happen, we don't even notice it. We're like the horse that's been desensitized. It's just noise around us. We get so accustomed and we get trained by our culture that we don't see the upside-down nature of the world that we live in very often. We can't see it until somebody shines a spotlight on it, which is happening right now. There's so much activity going on around race relations, uh, relations and social uh, injustice that's been happening because people are putting a spotlight on it, and it needs to be there, right? I think we all would agree that it needs to be there. But what happens often is when that spotlight gets shown on us, we're embarrassed because now all of a sudden we see with fresh eyes, that something bad has been going on and we didn't even notice, okay? As a result, often our knee-jerk reaction is to deny that that that, that is a true thing so that we can continue to live in our happy little bubble that we've been living in before. When we read this passage, in light of what's going on in the world, we can now see the truth of it in a way that I don't think we could see before. When we read about people in power that refuse to take advice, it rings in our ears in a way that it never has before because of where we find ourselves. I mentioned last week, but we need to continually self-evaluate and ask God to reveal the areas of, in our life, the places in our hearts and our minds where we're still blind to what's going on around us. Listen, the the American dream, we're going to talk about that today, but it has taught us that in order to be successful in this life and to be happy, we need to spend our lives gaining wealth and power and status. We've allowed ourselves to be led like sheep to the slaughter. The thing that we, we think is going to make us happy is ultimately what kills us. We march on, we're chasing the American dream with, with no clue that we're marching towards death, not life. It's the same twisted lie that Satan has been, has been spreading since Adam and Eve. And his tactic has not changed. He continues to share the same lie. He takes what God has meant for good and he twists it so that it leads us away from God and not to God. We spend so much time and energy chasing that lie that we become entrenched. And we no longer pursue the... And, and the harder we pursue that, 
the harder it is to correct our course. And after a while, we simply become immovable because we're too far gone down that path. It would cost us too much to move. I think this is what the preacher is describing in verse 13 where he says, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. One in this passage is willing to learn, but the other refuses to even make a change. In this passage, it's referring specifically to and warning against the king's behavior. The word there is, is, is translated to, to be admonished or to be warned. And that's a scary place to be when a person is so entrenched in their way of life that they will not heed a warning. They will not allow their behavior to be corrected. And we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis if we're becoming that kind of person that won't accept correction. And I'm not implying that any of you would not take correction. I just want to say that for the record. But I am saying that we need to think about that on a regular basis. This is simply a warning because we look at ourselves and what it means to be the brother or sister of a person of color. And there are going to be some changes that need to happen in our life about the way we think, about the, what, the, what we say and the way that we act. We need to make sure that we haven't closed ourselves off to change that God wants to make in our lives. Now listen, often this doesn't happen intentionally, but rather we just think we already understand. We think we know all that there is to know. And I heard somebody say yesterday in an interview that the older you get, the more that you realize how much you don't know. And I think that's very true. I was telling Bethany this week about comments that I've heard um, in person or seen on Facebook that really prove this point, that people are so entrenched in their ideology and their beliefs and their politics that they cannot see that they're part of the problem. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about any of you guys. I'm not pointing fingers at y'all. People become so entrenched in their culture that they're, even, they're unwilling to even consider that maybe the things that they're saying or doing are hurtful or wrong. They're unwilling to have their view of, what it, of justice and of racism to be challenged. And because they're unwilling to think about it, what, what they really believe, they're perpetuating the very problem. They're perpetuating injustice. I know for a fact that if I asked any of those people that I'm talking about, if they thought that justice was a good thing, they would say, yes, 100%. That's part of what it means to be an American, is to, is to have this sense of right justice. However, but... They, they can't see beyond themselves. And so the very thing that they say we need, they're unwilling to provide. Okay? We talk often about how important it is for us as believers to abide. And this, this right here is one of the reasons that it's so important that we do so. It's important because it allows the Holy Spirit to speak truth into our lives, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the things in our lives that needs to change. We need the Holy Spirit to work in us to change our hearts so that we can see one another the way God sees us as image bearers. If we're not abiding and allowing God to move and change our hearts, we're like the old king. I want you to hear me say that. If we choose not to abide, not to allow God to work in our hearts, we are the old king. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us is what will make us like the wise youth. It's not our actions. It's not our good ideas. It's simply abiding in Him. That's the only way we can go deeper in our understanding of the world, of who God is, and what He's asking us to do to help bring truth into this world. God's love in a broken world is not our good ideas. It's God's love manifested through His people. People don't change quickly, but we do change continually if we are allowing God to work in our lives. 
And this world's only going to get better when we, the church, begin to do this on a daily basis. Not for a season, not for just a moment, but daily for the rest of our lives. That's how the world becomes a better place. That's going to have more of an impact on the world than anything, any program that man could come up with. Instead of blindly following a lie that we can change the world by something that we do, we need to pursue God and let Him lead us to life and truth. So point number two I want to make today is we need to stop chasing a moving target and pursue the unchanging God. Okay? We need to stop chasing a moving target and pursue the unchanging God. I want to, I want to ask you a weird question, okay? And I want you to just hear me out on this, okay? Most of you will say no to this question, but I want to ask it anyway. Have you ever tried to rope a pig? Probably not, okay? I have. I want to tell you a story. Pigs, okay, so I grew up cowboy, and you guys know that. When you rope a cow or a calf, there's about two to three foot clearance between their chin and the ground, and that's really important. It's important because as you swing the rope and you throw it, it opens up into a loop. You can picture this in your mind, and it just goes right over the calf's head. Works very well, okay? The problem with roping a pig is, is the ground clearance between his chin and the ground is about this far, okay? So there's not a lot of room there to get that rope underneath his chin, okay? Pigs are not designed to be roped, okay? And, and there's a further problem. If you do rope a pig, now you have a whole new mess, okay? Because you cannot out-wrestle a pig, okay? Testimony. Can't happen. They are little balls of muscle, okay? It's like trying to wrestle a three-year-old, but way worse, okay? It doesn't work. It's not designed to. Listen, when we spend our lives, here's the point. When we spend our lives in pursuit of the American dream, it's like trying to rope a pig. It's not what we're designed for. We weren't made for that. And if we do chase the American dream and by some chance get our hands on it, then we have even more problems. Listen, we were made to live in community. A couple of years ago when we studied the book of Acts and we looked at what it meant it, what it looked like as the church was forming, as the Holy Spirit was leading and changing people's lives. And we said, this is what God wants us to be, right? We want to be a community like the new church where we are taking care of one another. As we looked at that, we see a very clear distinction between the early church and the American dream. They're not the same at all. And the problem with, with the world right now, the problem with a lot of the church is that we are not pursuing what it means to be a Christ-like community. We're pursuing the American dream. And often we're catching it, and that is the source of a lot of our problems. And to be honest with you all, when God first led me to the book of Ecclesiastes, I felt like this, this idea of us giving up on the American dream was going to be a big part of this study. And I, I have an idea that we're going to continue to talk about this, but God wants to, to begin dismantling the parts of our minds and our hearts that, that have been programmed to chase after the American dream, to say that that is the thing to be sought after. And you might ask, what's wrong with the American dream? Well, there's a lot, okay? To just begin with, from the very beginning of our country, the idea when people came here was that they could gain wealth and status that they couldn't where they came from. And very quickly, that led us into an era of slavery, right? I mean, I'm talking about that because that's what's happening in the world right now is we're discussing, we're talking about things that began over 400 years ago that are having an effect on today. You know how I've said to you so many times, the choices that we make have eternal differences? This is a prime example, 
And instead of chasing the things that have led us to where we are, I'm propositioning that we chase after God, not after what the world says is good. When we do that, we, we make these gifts of God's of God idols in our lives and we're chasing a false God and not the true God. And then ultimately we're never satisfied. Like that's a that that's a slogan I was looking today. I have some shorts that were made by Under Armour and literally on the band it says never satisfied. Like that's us. That's Americans. We're never satisfied and we're never satisfied because we we're chasing a moving target. Instead of living for what we were created for and enjoying life with God, we chase what the world tells us is worth our time and energy. The problem is that we're chasing things that are hevel, right? We're going to bring that word back. They're temporary. If we're chasing the American dream, we're chasing a moving target. I'm going to pick on my little brother for just a minute. I didn't plan to do this, but it just popped in my head, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit. It's difficult, or it was when I was a child, to play games with my younger brother because he always changed the rules. As soon as you started winning, he'd make up a new rule where you weren't winning anymore. I love you, Jake. You'll probably never listen to this. It's okay. Oh, that's... <laughs> I have a parent pointing at a child. I'm not going to say that child's name. But everyone here knows. If we're chasing the American dream, we're chasing a moving target. Because what it takes to, to make it is constantly changing. I mean, you look at trends and styles and things from a few years ago, they're not in style and they're not trendy anymore. But we worked so hard to gain those things and now where are they? I don't know. You sell it in a garage sale for like one thousandth less than you paid for it. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. It says this, But then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. Endless crowds stand around him, but then another generation grows up and rejects him too. So it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Do you see why I say this is like chasing a moving target? It says it right here in Scripture. The things, the people that we place in places of importance, they're not always going to be there. People work and struggle their whole lives to be someone or to gain something that their peers say is what is to be achieved. And then about the time they accomplish those things... Those very people change the rules and say, well, that's not important anymore. Now you need to be doing this. You need to be chasing this. It's like chasing the wind. It never ends. It's, I love the imagery of it's just us on the hamster wheel, right? Just running, 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 not getting anywhere. We spend our lives building ourselves up, gathering a following, and then about the time we feel like we've made it, the preacher is here to tell us that those people are going to leave us and follow another. We see this happen in our lives, right? We see people put up on pedestals and then before you know it, they're forgotten. Let me ask you, why would we spend our lives investing in things that are going to cost us in the end? It doesn't make sense, does it? Would you go like buy stock, like spend all your money on stock in a company that you know is going to go bankrupt in a couple of weeks? Of course you wouldn't. You'd lose all your money. That doesn't make sense. But when we chase the things of the world, we're doing the same thing. We are literally buying things that are just going to go out of style. We're going to buy a vehicle that's going to wear out in 10 or 15 years. We're going to buy a, I don't know, the list can go on and on. The last point I want to make today is that we need to listen for the Lord to speak and do what He tells us to do. Look at verses 1 through 3 in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. 
It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near and listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they are doing, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. So I want to say this very carefully. But there are a lot of voices yelling right now about what our world is going through. There are a lot of voices sharing a lot of opinions about the Black Lives Matter movement. So how do we know who to listen to? How do we know what to do? I think that's a valid question, isn't it? The answer is the same as it's always been, and it always will be. We need to abide, right? There are a lot of really smart people who have really great ideas that we do need to listen to. But before we go there, we need to go to the Lord. We need to get His perspective on what's going on. Look, action is good, but only when God tells you to act. In the midst of all these opinions, it's sometimes hard to know what we should do, what we shouldn't do, how, should, how we should feel, what we should say. Rather than trying to figure all that on our own, we need to listen. God is not unaware or surprised by what is going on. He is not at a loss for words for what is going on. God is working. He is doing something. And God wants to use us, but unless we are listening carefully, we're not going to know what He's asking for. Right? We, do we need to be a people of action? Yes, we do, definitely. We need to be a people of action. But we don't need to just jump out there. To jump out there and simply do something to try to impress someone or God or to satisfy someone or God is to offer a sacrifice that God has not asked for. Look, I understand the desire to want to make a difference, but being rash in word and in deed doesn't help anybody. You may look the part, but it's not going to honor God or accomplish His purposes. The best, most significant thing that we can do right now is to sit before the Lord and listen. And I do not want you to think that I am saying that we need to be inactive in what's going on. That is not at all what I'm saying. We need to be active. But we need to actively sit before the Lord and listen. Think about this with me, okay? We want things to be better. I believe that about us. We want justice for those that were murdered. We want people to stop having to live in fear. And if we're acting in our own power, we're not going to have much of an impact on any of those things. However, if the Lord speaks and we do what He says, we're not operating in our power, but we're operating with the power of God. He is the solution and He has the power to really change the things that need to be changed. We help others and we make a difference in this world by operating not in our own power, but in the power of God. Look, this is how Jesus operated. He rolled model for, what, for us what it means to stand with the oppressed. What it means to walk with the suffering. So how did He do it? We see Jesus time and time again in a time where people were being persecuted, in a time where people were being oppressed by a, a government, where people were suffering. And what did Jesus do? We see it time and time again. Jesus goes and He speaks with His Father. And then he does what he says. And the result is a ministry that changed the world. Now, I, want, I, I understand that 
we're not Jesus, right? But we'll talk about that in just a minute because Jesus says something specific about that. But look at Luke 4.42. I'm going to pull out some little chunks to make a point. But they're all leading up to something bigger. Luke 4.42. And when, it was, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and he would have kept them and would have kept him from leaving them. Okay, after a time with God, Jesus goes and he preaches in the synagogues. In this story, you look at the scripture, Jesus goes off to a desolate place, he prays, and as soon as he leaves from there, he goes into the synagogues and he begins to preach the gospel. And then immediately after that is when Jesus begins to call his disciples. He's following God's lead. Move forward in Luke 5, 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Right before this verse is when Jesus heals a leper and, and he confronts the Pharisees and then he heals a paralytic. Again, we see Jesus in action. But prior to and after, he goes to God and he seeks God's direction. God's the one calling the shots and working through Jesus. And then John five nineteen through 20. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. Look, not only does Jesus consult the Father, but he goes on to say later in the chapter that he can't do it on his own. Listen, hear this. Jesus said he can't do it on his own. If Jesus can't do it on his own, what makes us think that we, in our mind, our ideas, could do what Jesus couldn't do? Jesus says very clearly, I don't do this on my own. I go to the Father, he speaks, I do what he tells me. And he's Jesus. How much more important is it that we, the people that are not Jesus, follow that lead? And we go to God and we ask, and when he do what he says. And then John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus says this, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus knew that he couldn't fulfill his ministry on his own. He knew that he needed the Father. What in the world makes us think that we can make any amount of difference operating in our own power? We can't. We absolutely cannot. We are not able. But God who lives in us is. And what we know as a body, the message that we have for the people that are suffering right now, for the people that want to make a difference is, let's stop trying to come up with our own ideas and let's go together to the Father and let Him speak. Let Him show us what we need to do. This world does not need more people acting in their own power. If we're serious about being the change that this world needs, we can do that only by abiding in Christ. And the last verse I want to share with you today is John 14, 12 through 14, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Did you hear that? Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Listen, this world desperately needs Jesus. And the way they're going to they're experience that is through Christ living and working through us. Jesus says in verse 13, He says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, 
I will do it. What else is there to say? We can make a difference in this world, but the difference that we make is by abiding in Christ. Not operating in our wisdom and our power. We make a difference by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. I want to end with this quote today. I I wrote this message, and I always go back right before I preach, and I read through it, and I pray through it, and I spend some time with the Lord. And I I want to read this little chunk from Oswald on uh, Utmost today. It was... um, You can go to utmost.org if you want to see the whole thing. Okay? But I wrote this last night. I finished up last night. And then this morning, this was in my quiet time. I don't think it's a coincidence. It says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Oswald says, The disciple who abides in Jesus is the will of God. I want you to hear that. The disciple who abides in Jesus is the will of God. And what appears to be free choices are actually God's foreordained decrees. Is this mysterious? Does it appear to contradict sound logic or seem totally absurd? Yes, but what a glorious truth it is to be a saint of God. God wants this world to be better. And He wants to use us to do that. But He can't if we're not abiding. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for children. They are, are really a blessing. God, it has, been, um, a, it has been so good for me this morning to hear their little voices that I've missed so much. I don't say that in jest. Thank you for this time. Father, I know that all of us want to do better. We want to be better. We want this world to be a better place. And God, I ask that, that that drive, that desire would not lead us to, to more programs, to more ideas that we can come up with but father i ask that 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 emotion those feelings would drive us to you father we would trade um these feelings that are for a moment for a truth that will last a lifetime father change our hearts help us to 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 have a desire to work towards what's eternal which is to to be your kingdom here on earth father show us how to walk with you. Show us how to abide. Show us how to to be like Jesus. To love this world in such a way that it can know you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.